All right, that was a good choir today. Praise the Lord for that. We'll take this jacket off, which is a bad sign. If any of you have ever seen a preacher take their jacket off, it probably means things are going to get serious, which they are. So, I want everybody to take a deep breath. And you also know, if I make you do that, that we're probably going to be here for a while and we're probably going to talk about something that's difficult. And you would be right. So all the signs of a long, difficult sermon are here for us today. The jacket's off, we took the deep breath, and we're ready to go. Mark chapter 2. We're continuing on in our study of the book of Mark. We're just taking in a few verses at a time. We'll eventually get to the end, but uh, today we'll continue on where we left off uh, last week in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now, what we've seen, just a little background in the verses immediately preceding these, is we've seen that Jesus has been on a collision course with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus was doing many things that the Pharisees did not like. Now, we saw a few weeks back that Jesus uh, had healed a man, and when the, the, the men brought this man to be healed, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now, that was kind of a crazy thing to say. Uh, when the Pharisees heard Jesus tell this man his sins were forgiven, uh, they were irate. Who can forgive sins but God, they said. Now, they failed to realize who Jesus was. And he was on a collision course with them. He collided with them on the issue of his authority and his ability to forgive sins. We saw them collide a couple of weeks back when Jesus uh, was, was, was bold enough to call a tax collector of all people to be one of his followers. Not only did Jesus call a tax collector to be his follower, but Jesus also sat down and dined with tax collectors and with sinners. Again, he was colliding with the Pharisees because they would have never done such. They would have not associated with a crooked tax collector. They would have never sat down at a table with them and ate a meal with them for sure, much less those other sinners who were out there. Then last week we talked about uh, Jesus collided with the Pharisees over fasting. Jesus was questioned as to why his disciples didn't fast. Now for the Pharisees, fasting was a big deal. It was something that at least in one uh, passage in Scripture we see uh, Pharisees say, uh, and I fasted twice a week. That is, he was boasting that he fasted twice a week. Uh, and it is very likely that there were many Jews who did that during that day. And it was something that they were proud that they did. They boasted that they fasted, although they weren't always fasting with the right heart. That's pretty obvious based on many of the things that the Pharisees said and did. And so Jesus said, look, my disciples don't have to fast because, look, the, the groom is here, the bridegroom is here, and why would they fast? Why would the, the bride of the bridegroom or the, the guest of the feast, as Jesus would say, why would they fast when the groom is here? When the groom is here and the wedding is about to take place, it's a time of celebration. Now Jesus went on to say that his disciples would fast, but Jesus never commanded his followers to fast. We never see any such command. And even though Jesus acknowledged on a couple of occasions uh, that his followers would fast, there's no set schedule we go by. Uh, we fast as the Spirit would lead us to fast. Now we won't go into all that again this week since we discussed it last week. You can find any of these sermons from the book of Mark online if you want to catch up on some of these other things uh, and, and what we discussed in those. So Jesus collided last week over the Pharisees against 
fasting and what fasting was and how his disciples did it. Now today, we come to a topic that was, was a pretty serious topic. It was a serious topic for the Pharisees then, and it's a serious topic for us today. This is a hotly debated topic, and that is the Sabbath. The Sabbath controversy, if we can call, us that, call it that, because the Sabbath is still hotly debated today among Christians. There are several different views that are held. Now, Jesus, again, collided with the Pharisees on this idea of the Sabbath and whether to keep the Sabbath and how to keep the Sabbath. And so Jesus was called out by the Pharisees for things that he did on the Sabbath. Now we see that here in Mark, but we see that other places in Jesus' ministry too. This was not a one-time event. It was not uncommon for Jesus to heal people on the Sabbath and do things that the Pharisees uh, thought were breaking the Sabbath. So we will read Mark chapter 2. We'll start in verse 23, and we will read through chapter 3, verse 6. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the paralyzed hand, Stand before us. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you today, and I pray that you just would give me the words to say, dear Lord, that we would be faithful to your word today, that we would be faithful to this difficult question. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead each of us, dear Lord, in our heart to be able to discern your word, to be able to live by the conviction that you place on our heart, dear Lord. And as we look at this difficult topic today, God, I pray that we look to your word, not just the words that we read today, but the words that we study on our own, dear Lord. I pray that you help me not to ramble on today. I pray that you help me to be faithful to preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to Jesus, dear Lord. And I pray that these words today would be good for each one of us that's here. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Here we see the conflict 
The conflict of the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus' disciples uh, were picking some grain from a field on the Sabbath day, enough for them to eat. Now, some may say, well, what the Pharisees were questioning here uh, was not that they were breaking the Sabbath, but that they, were, that they were stealing someone else's grain. But that simply is not a fair argument. They, Jesus didn't address the argument in that way, and that was allowed. If you go back and read in Deuteronomy chapter 23 in the law, God allowed that, that if someone was passing through someone's field and needed something to eat, it was okay for them to grab a handful. Now, they couldn't go back, and they couldn't take their bushel, and they couldn't load it up, but it was okay to get enough to eat. It may be similar to if you're walking by the barbershop, and you were starving, and there's some tomatoes growing there. It's probably okay to grab one. He won't call the cops, but don't go up there with your Walmart sack and fill that thing up, as somebody did a couple of years ago. That's kind of the, the same way here. Jesus allowed his people in Deuteronomy 23 to pick a little bit of grain. That was not the question. That was not the issue. The issue with the Pharisees was that Jesus' disciples were doing work on the Sabbath day. Now, some would say, well, that was just the Pharisees' interpretation, that, that just doing a few uh, grains of wheat in your hand, uh, that, was not, that was not real work. That's not what the Sabbath meant. Now, there are Christians who would hold that view, who would say that, well, the disciples weren't really doing work. They weren't really breaking the Sabbath, but the Pharisees thought they did because the Pharisees had a wrong view of the Sabbath. But some would say, no, that is breaking the Sabbath. The Pharisees did break the Sabbath, and Jesus seemed to defend them breaking the Sabbath. Now, this is why this, 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 this uh, talk about the Sabbath is difficult, because... Even within this room, there are Christians who hold different views as to Sabbath keeping, when the Sabbath is, who should keep the Sabbath, and when we should keep the Sabbath. Now, it's difficult because there are people who I believe, I don't know anybody's heart, are Christians who would be able to make multiple arguments uh, on the Sabbath. That is, this one would make an argument this way. And I will tell you, depending on what your view of the Sabbath is, you will find some, some big-name, well-known, trusted preacher or scholar that you, that you trust. If you look, you will find one that will, that will really fall with any of the main views of what it means to keep the Sabbath and when the Sabbath should be kept. Now, there is much debate to be had uh, there is much discussion to be had, and there are many scriptures that can be read to really defend and point out the strengths and weaknesses to all of those arguments. Sadly, we don't have the time to do that today. When it comes to keeping the Sabbath, here are some of the main views as far as Sabbath keeping in our world today. There are, well, let's start here. The first question that we really need to ask is, when is the Sabbath? When is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is the last day of the week. Now, we are here, and we are gathering on the first day of the week. Now, there is some debate that's among Christians who would say, Nope, the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday. Now, any good Jewish person who probably knows better than us non-Jews, because Jews would keep the Sabbath faithfully, they will contend that the Sabbath is still Saturday, what we call Saturday, the last day of the week. And Jews have kept what we call Saturday as the Sabbath from the time of Jesus because the Sabbath is the last day of the week. That's pretty clear from the Old Testament text. There can really be no argument there that the Sabbath is the last day of the week. There are, however, many Christians who would contend that Sabbath in the Scripture has been changed to Sunday. 
Now, I will admit to you, I can find no compelling scriptures that I've ever seen that would lead me to believe that the Sabbath ever changed from Saturday to Sunday. Now, you may find scriptures that compel you, and if you do, uh, then you go by with whatever the Lord convicts you and whatever you believe God's Word says. I'm not trying to change your mind. We're simply talking about what the Scripture says and some of the strengths and weaknesses. If you have found compelling Scriptures that would lead you to believe that the Sabbath have, has transferred from the last day of the week to the first day of the week, from Saturday to Sunday, uh, by all means, after church, I would love to talk to you sometime. I can't do it today, but you can tell me, and I would love to talk to you about that. I don't want to debate you or argue with you, but it is good for us to look at God's Word and study together. But I can find no compelling evidence in Scripture that would lead me to believe that the Sabbath has changed from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. Now, I will admit there are a couple of scriptures in the New Testament that says, and the believers met on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and would have been Sunday even for them all those years ago. Yeah, there are a couple of scriptures that say they met on the first day of the week, but there are also a couple of scriptures that said they met every day of the week. And so I don't know that there is strong, compelling uh, 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 argument there to say that the uh, Sabbath has been changed from the last day of the week to the first day of the week or to any other day of the week. But with that being said, there are many Christians who would argue and will go to their death believing that Sunday is the Sabbath, and maybe rightfully so. I may, uh, God may reveal those passages to me one day and reveal that to me. But based on the scriptures in the Old Testament and what God told the people of Israel, the Sabbath day was the last day of the week. And until the Lord reveals to me any scriptures to uh, tell me otherwise, I will continue to believe that the Sabbath was the last day of the week, what we call Saturday. Now the Jews still do and did back then in Jesus' day. This is how it would have occurred because that's how it was in the law. The Sabbath would have began on sundown on Friday and would have lasted through sundown on Saturday. Now, the Jews obviously still keep the Sabbath on that day, but there are many Christians in the world today who keep Sunday, as I mentioned, but there are also some Christians who hold firm to the fact that the Sabbath is Saturday. Now, the most well-known among that group that we may be familiar with would be the Seventh-day Adventists. There are also Seventh-day Baptists. Now, for the Seventh-day people, whether Baptist or Adventist, this keeping of the Sabbath is very significant for them. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist or Baptist uh, would hold to the fact that the Sabbath should still be celebrated and should still be celebrated on Saturday. And if the Sabbath is indeed still to be kept by Christians, then that would be true. If we want to, if you want to keep the Sabbath, in a biblical sense, the way that the command was given in the Old Testament, if you want to be a Sabbath keeper, then you should keep the Sabbath based on how the Old Testament explained the Sabbath should be kept. And that should be from Friday at sundown, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, till the same time on Saturday. Now that's the way the Sabbath is described to us in the Old Testament. Now there are Christians who... Uh, believe that we should keep the Sabbath on Saturday. There are Christians who believe that we should keep the Sabbath on Sunday. But there are also Christians who believe that we should not keep the Sabbath at all. That we are freed from keeping the Sabbath in any way, shape, and form. Now, those who would make that argument would say, uh, there is nowhere in the New Testament that we are commanded to keep the Sabbath. And I would say that is indeed true. There is nowhere in the New Testament that we are ever commanded to keep the Sabbath. 
Now, the argument against that, some would say that, well, there were many that kept the Sabbath. Even Jesus kept the Sabbath. Well, Jesus kept the Sabbath because the law was still in place until Jesus went to the cross. Now, Jesus did uh, follow the Sabbath. He did go to the synagogue and the temple or wherever it would be on the Sabbath, as well as his followers who came after him. We see that a lot in the book of Acts, that they went to the synagogue every week. It says that in the text in Acts, that every week they went to the synagogue. They gathered at the synagogue, and they would go week after week. Now, you could say, well, that's an argument that we were supposed to keep the Sabbath, that it's still in place. Even though it's not commanded, uh, we're still to keep it. Some would say the reason why it's not commanded in the New Testament is because it's so obvious that we're supposed to keep it, they didn't need to address it. Everybody just knew anybody would be foolish to think we weren't supposed to. On the flip side, the argument could be made that the reason it was not commanded by Jesus or any of the apostles after him is an important thing is because there was no need to keep it because we are freed from that. Now, I would say that the, that the evidence, to me, at least in my reading, and maybe different for you, is very compelling to support that point. It seems to me that Paul makes a much more compelling argument that there is no specific day that is to be held over another than that there is a specific day to be held over another. Now, we could argue different points and strengths and weaknesses to all of those, but those are the three main views that are held among Christians today. One, the Sabbath should still be kept on Saturday as it was in the Old Testament. Two, the Sabbath somehow changed hands uh, from uh, when it was supposed to be from Saturday to Sunday uh, after the death of Jesus. And three, that we are no longer bound under the Sabbath at all if we're a follower of Christ. Now you see what I was talking about when I tell you this is tough. Now, I'm not trying to sway anyone any way or another, but we will look at the Scriptures today, and I will encourage you to study and pray about this on your own. Now here in the context of what we're reading, Jesus is talking about disciples who may or may not be breaking the Sabbath depending on how we interpret what we think the Pharisees meant. But whatever is taking place here, Jesus comes to the defense of his followers here. In verse 25, he said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did uh, when he was in need and hungry? Now, he goes on to tell a story about a time that David was fleeing from Saul. Now, you can find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And as David was fleeing from Saul with those who were with him, they were hungry. The only place that they could find bread would have been in the tabernacle. Now, in the tabernacle, there was, uh, there was an outer court, and there were all these things that were there the way God laid them out. Then there was a, a, a little building section. There was a, a front room, if we can call it that, and then there was a back room. And the front room uh, had this lamp stand with seven, seven candles on it or seven, seven lights, seven lamps on it. Uh, and then there was also a table there for what was called the showbread or the holy bread. And, and the holy bread, there were to be 12 loaves, two stacks of six, the Bible says, and that holy bread would have only been for the priest who were going to go into the tabernacle. No one else could eat that bread. It was sinful. It was against the law, against God's law for anyone else to eat that bread. Now Jesus brings up this story because G uh, David goes to the, to the priest in the story and he eats the bread. The priest gives him the bread and David eats the bread. Now that was a wrong thing. Now David brings this story up because it would appear as though the Pharisees would not have any issue with this. Uh, he wouldn't just bring this up for no reason. My guess is he brought this up because he knew they were familiar with this story, and they would never have spoken in a way that would have condemned David or made David look guilty in this sense 
even though he ate bread that was not supposed to be eaten. Now, he uses this as an illustration in defense of his apostles. He goes on to say in verse 27, Then he also, excuse me, then he told them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, Jesus makes a pretty bold statement there. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, what Jesus meant was, is that man was made before the Sabbath. It's not that, that God uh, picked a day of rest or implemented the Sabbath in the law uh, and then created man and said, okay, now you must follow this day. Jesus is making a significant point here by saying what came first. It was man who came first. Man is more important and the needs of men are more important as we saw in chapter 3 in the few verses we read there where he healed the man who was sick on the Sabbath day. Jesus was saying what's better to do? What is good or what is evil? Now, of course, it's better to do what is good. Jesus was saying, look, the Sabbath is a good thing. Man is more important than the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is a good thing. Man was not uh, made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. God implemented the Sabbath for who? For man. Jesus tells us the answer of that, and we see that, I think, clearly pointed out uh, in the Old Testament as God is giving the law to the children of Israel. For the Pharisees, the keeping of the Sabbath would have been a burden. It would have been a burden that would have been placed on them. Oh, we've got to keep the Sabbath. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Now, for some of you, you, would, you can realize that because it may be the same way for church. See, you feel like, I've got to go to church because it's this day, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And when we do that, is church something that's fun? Is it something we look forward to? Is it something that benefits us? Well, it may benefit us, but we're probably not going to have much fun going into it at least. And we're probably not going to be excited about it, and it's going to be a burden to us. Oh, it's church day again, and I've got to go to church. Now, Jesus was saying, look, the Sabbath shouldn't be a burden. The Sabbath should be for the good of the people. Because what was the law of the Sabbath? It was to be a day of rest. Now, here's something that's interesting that, that, that we do not see in the Old Testament when the law was given. It's not commanded that it is to be a day to go to church. It is not commanded to be a day of fellowship. It is simply commanded in the law to be a day of rest. Now we say, well, surely it's got to say we've got to get together and come to church. That's why we come to church on Sunday, because we're keeping the Sabbath. Well, the Old Testament gives no such command for the people to gather together and keep a special day and to fellowship with one another. Not that I'm saying that's a bad thing. I think it's clear in the New Testament that the Bible does say that it's good for us to be together. It's great for us to be together in the fellowship. But that's not a command of the law, and that's not the command of the Sabbath. The Sabbath command was a pretty simple command, and that was a command of rest. Now let's look at some scriptures. We've talked a lot about it. Let's look at some of the scriptures here. And uh, there are plenty, as I mentioned, there are lots of scriptures that we could look at, but we don't have the time to look at all of those, so we will look at a few. Let's start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, I know I'll go through these quickly for time's sake, uh, but feel free and I will print you off a copy of these and you can have them for yourself and so you can look them up and read them and not take my word for it, uh, but let the Holy Spirit lead you in. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So at the very beginning, God made all the things. He made the light and the trees and the, and the earth and the waters and all of the things. God made those things. And when he got done making them and making man, God said that it was very good. 
That's great. It was very good. It was perfect because God himself had made it. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Now, when we see that it's declared holy, holy simply means set apart. It was different. To be set apart means to be different. God, on the seventh day, it says, blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. God said, I am setting this day apart. This is a different day. It's not like the rest of the days. The other days I did things. I created things. Today, I'm not doing anything. So this is a different day. It's set apart. It's holy, God said. For on it, he rested from his work and creation. Now, when it says God rested there, it doesn't mean that God took a nap. Because God doesn't grow weary. God doesn't sleep or slumber. The scripture tells us that. When it says that God rested from his work, I don't think that it meant that he needed a break because he had worked so hard and creating all the trees in the ocean. Oh, what a hard work that is. Well, it's not for God because he's all-powerful. For him, he spoke and these things came into existence. God didn't need to rest in the same way that you and I need to rest. But it says God rested, and what I believe it's meaning there when it says God rested is that is that he was satisfied. He was saying he was satisfied. He's ceasing from his work because he's satisfied with his work. All has been done, as good as it can be done. And so on that sixth day, he takes a break from that work. He stops his work because he is satisfied with what he has done because it is good and very good. Now, after that, we don't see any body in the Old Testament keeping the Sabbath all the way up until Exodus. Now, hundreds of years passed by. Thousands of years passed by. There were righteous people who were followers of God and faithful to God during that time. But we see no command of keeping the Sabbath. We see no evidence to, to, to point us to, at least that I've ever seen, uh, that people gathered on a certain day or met together or did any of those things. Those things are not there until we get to Exodus chapter 16. There is no, no command given to God's people, to Abraham and all those people. There's nothing uh, in the scriptures that would lead us to believe that they uh, kept the Sabbath, although maybe they did. I don't know. Perhaps they did, and it's just not in there. Maybe they just knew. Maybe they just knew that they were supposed to do it. But scripturally, we don't have any evidence to support that thought. What we do see is the first real mention of the Sabbath, that is the seventh day of the week, and not doing anything on that. The first we see of that comes in Exodus chapter 16, verse 26. For six days you may gather it, speaking of manna, God was providing manna for his people. He told them they could gather it for six days, but on the seventh they didn't, weren't allowed to. For uh, six days you may gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So, Here's the first mention that we have of the Sabbath here since uh, we, we talked about creation and God resting. Here we see that first kind of allusion to the fact that God rested and that there's going to be some significance that's going to occur on the seventh day of the week. Now God gives them the command in Exodus chapter 20 that's part of the Ten Commandments where he expounds and gives more detail on this Sabbath rest that they are to take. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11, God gives them the following command. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. 
Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Now, he's giving this command to the Israelites. And what does he say there? It's a day of rest. Nobody's supposed to do any work. Not you, not your slaves, not your sons, not your daughters. Nobody is to do any work. Now, this was a command that God was giving to the Israelites here. And it's pretty clear what the command was. You are to rest. The seventh day is a different day. Look back at God's own example. He rested on the seventh day, as we saw in Genesis. And so God is giving this command to the Israelites along with the other uh, Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Now he goes on to say in Exodus chapter 31 verse uh, 12 through 17, he goes on to expound on that even more. Now there's lots of discussion and, uh, discussion and repetition of the Sabbath and what it means uh, throughout these first few books of the Bible that talk about the law. It's not just found in these couple of verses. There are plenty of uh, descriptions of this command that God gave them about the Sabbath throughout those first few books of the Old Testament. Now chapter 31 and verse 12 of the book of Exodus uh, points out the severity and the importance of this. Now here is one issue for me and one question for me when it comes to keeping the Sabbath. Now there are many who are very concerned with Sabbath keeping. There are many who are adamant that even Christians today must keep the Sabbath. Well if we are going to go by what the law says in keeping the Sabbath, then if, if, if I was convicted and felt that I should follow that law, then I would feel that I should follow that law. But this verse brings some difficulty if we are going to be strict Sabbatarians, and let's read it and see why. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generation, so that you will know that I am Yahweh, who sets you apart. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Now, that's tough. That's a tough one to reconcile. If we are going to argue for Sabbath keeping, that we are going to follow the law and what God commanded in the law, well, that means we've got to start killing people who aren't observing the Sabbath. That means it's very important for us to figure out what day the Sabbath is. Is it Saturday or Sunday? If we are going to be strict Sabbatarians, we better make sure we know what the day is. Because if we're doing work on Saturday, and that turns out to really be the Sabbath, then guess what? Well, we're supposed to start killing people that are doing work on it. Now, that's what the law says. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you today, don't go kill anybody. Whether you see them working on Saturday or Sunday or any other day of the week, don't kill anybody. I don't believe that we are to be under this law as it was given to the Israelites. Now this passage of Scripture is a very hotly debated passage of Scripture. It is gone to quite frequently by the Sabbatarian because of the language that's used there. But it's also gone to quite quickly by me because... I'm not really wanting to put anybody to death. And I can't reconcile the two. Either I'm going to live by the law or I'm going to be free from the law in Jesus Christ. Now I choose to be free from the law in Jesus Christ and not kill anybody for not keeping a special day. Let's read a little further. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was 
refreshed. Now, there are a few things in this verse that, that, that we may could argue for either side. I will tell you both sides to, to, to try to be fair. Uh, one argument that is given by those who uh, would hold to the Sabbath and would say that we still should keep it the day as Christians would point to the fact uh, that at the end of the passage there, it says that it's a uh, perpetual covenant and it is a sign forever. Now, if God says something is perpetual or forever, then that means it's everlasting. It's always going to be. Now, the word that's used there for perpetual and for forever and for everlasting, although it's not in this verse as in others, is the word olam. Now, the word olam is used a lot in the Old Testament. And sometimes our translators translate it as a long time. Sometimes they choose to translate it as forever. Sometimes they choose to translate it as everlasting. Sometimes they choose to translate it as perpetual. But, 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 but for whatever reason, uh, sometimes they choose one over the other, and I'm not a scholar, so I don't know why. But I know that the Hebrew word there is olam. And I know that that word sometimes means a long period of time. So even though it says the word forever here, it may not necessarily mean that this was forever. After all, he said it was a sign for his people between me and the Israelites. Now, I'm not an Israelite, but you could make the argument. You could say, well, aren't those who are in Christ all part of Israel now? So should not we keep the commands in the same way that they did? Well, if you feel convicted in that way, uh, then by all means, go with your conviction of the Lord for sure. Uh, but the word forever in the Old Testament does not always mean forever. Now, I could give you a big list of times where olam is used of things that are said to be forever that are not forever, but I will give you one for time's sake. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 34, uh, God is giving instructions as to about how the sacrifices are to be given by the high priest and how they are to be done once a year and how the sins of the people are to be atoned for. And that whole chapter gives a big discussion and a big, a, a, a big overview of the law and what God is commanding the priest to do and how he is supposed to do it. And at the end of that list of things, he says in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 34, this is to be a per permanent statute to you to make an atonement for the Israelites once a year because, all their, because of all their sins. And all this was done at the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, this is to be a permanent statute. This is to be an olam statute. This is to be a statute that is forever, as the word permanently means. But obviously, this is not something that's going on forever. Obviously, it's not permanent. Why? Because we, still, we don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a high priest who sacrifices animals on our behalf. We don't have to do that once a year. We don't have to have a high priest who places his hands uh, on the head of an animal and puts all of our sins on him and sends the animals uh, through the woods. There are countless uh, scriptures like this in the Old Testament that talks about things being permanent or forever in the English language, but in the... Uh, Hebrew language, it's always the word olam. And many of the things that we see in the law that are to be forever have ceased to exist, have ceased to be. They no longer be. So obviously they weren't forever. But what he does say, what God does say in Exodus, is he says that this is to be a sign. It is to be a sign of something that is to come. It is to be symbolic of something better that is to come. Now, the Old Testament is full of signs, it's full of symbolic things, and guess what most of them point us to? They point us to Jesus Christ. They point us to something better than the law. They point us to a new covenant that was better than the old covenant. Now, 
we, we get a little more uh, information about the command from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. It gives the command almost the same as it did in the book of Exodus, but after that, in the next verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, he gives a reason as to why he's giving them the Sabbath command. He says, Remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now God gives some clarification there. Why were they to keep the Sabbath day? Well, because of where they came from. They were enslaved from years. They went years without rest. They went years where they were worked hard. And now God has delivered them. And the Sabbath day is a reminder of God's deliverance to them that they were once slave and they have been delivered by God. That is why it says the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, I believe that the Sabbath command was to the Israelites, as it says in Exodus chapter 31. It is a sign between me and you, the Israelites. It is a sign, and it is just that, in the same way that, the, uh, that circumcision in the time of Abraham was also a sign that was debated in the New Testament. But, but we don't hear any Christians today debating over circumcision, even though it was a sign in the same way. But the Sabbath is different in that it was listed in the Ten Commandments, and that makes for much more discussion. A quick look at a few passages in the New Testament. A quick look at a few things. A few things uh, that I have already discussed that I won't go back and read the passages for you. Now, Jesus was questioned often by the Pharisees and what he did. The question is, did Jesus ever break the Sabbath? Now, again, you will find Christians who will debate with you on that topic. There are Christians who believe Jesus did break the Sabbath, and there are others who believe that he didn't break the Sabbath. Now, one verse that may, uh, you can decide for yourself which way you want to take it, would be John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, depending on how you fall, you will interpret that scripture one of two ways, probably. One as you would say, well, it's not saying that Jesus really broke the Sabbath. It's just simply saying that Jesus broke what the Pharisees thought the Sabbath was. So therefore, Jesus is not really guilty of breaking the Sabbath. Perhaps that's what that means, but John doesn't say that. John isn't saying the Pharisees thought Jesus broke the Sabbath. This is John himself who is writing these verses, and John says not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling, him, uh, calling God his own father. Now, did Jesus call God his own father? Well, yes, he did. And so if one of those things is true that John is saying is true, then why couldn't both be true? Now, for some, this is a real stumbling block because you would say, wait a minute, I'm tuning out because the minute you say Jesus sinned, I ain't listening. Well, listen to this. I'm not saying Jesus sinned, so don't go out of here saying that I did say Jesus sinned because he was the perfect Son of God. Because in Mark we read that Jesus, he said, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now you say, well, can the Lord break his own command? Well, that's something that you'll have to pray to the Lord about. But that's one verse that you can think about and you can pray about and you can look at. Is John saying that Jesus broke the Sabbath? Or is John simply saying that the Pharisees thought that Jesus broke the Sabbath? 
Now, if you leave here today and you go down the road and you go 90 miles an hour, you're going to get a ticket. If a state trooper goes by you and you're going 55 and he's going 90 miles an hour, what's going to happen? Well, nothing, because he's the authority. He is the law, so to speak. Now, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and Lord of everything, then I believe that Jesus is allowed to do anything that he can do that is not morally wrong within his character uh, that is not a sin. But you can decide for yourself what you feel the text says there and uh, pray to the Lord to help you uh, know what to do with that. Now, we will skip some verses because of time's sake. I wish we had more time. But there are lots of verses that talk about the Sabbath and that talk about the law and that talk about Jesus fulfilling the law. And there's much discussion to be had on those. And that discussion we will have to save for another day. But there are a few things I do want to point out in the Old Testament uh, to at least give us some idea to support the fact uh, that, that possibly the Sabbath may not be mandatory or are commanded to Christians today. Uh, one verse would be in Luke chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus says here, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is strongly urged to enter it. Now, Jesus says of the law and the prophets there that their time was until John, that is, John the Baptist. Now, Jesus has come, and he has ushered in the new kingdom. We remember that from the beginning of Acts when Jesus said, Look, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come, and Jesus has brought that kingdom. So you could say that perhaps Jesus is implying and pointing the people to that the new kingdom have come and that the old law and the prophets have passed away and that Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom that will be built on him and on his commands. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12, I think there is more evidence to support that fact because it says, For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. Now there has definitely been a change of the priesthood. Under the law, it was Aaron who was the head of the priesthood. And it was the Levites who were to be the priest. Well, we don't have a priesthood now. We don't have a priest that sacrificed for us. We don't have a priest that goes into a holy place. We don't have a temple that we go to and certain animals we sacrifice for our sins. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ has already done that because Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest. And Hebrews also says if there is a change in the priesthood, which there is, and no Christian would argue that, there is a change in the law as well. Now, that seems to be uh, suitable evidence for me to at least consider the fact that perhaps the old law has passed away and what Jesus has brought is something much better. Now, Jesus clarified the law in great detail. Uh, Jesus corrected the thoughts of the, the uh, Pharisees in many ways uh, about the law. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Now, that's another tough one right there. If Jesus didn't come to destroy it, then surely it's still going on, unless Jesus has already fulfilled it. If there's a change in the priesthood, then there must be a change in the law as well. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says, By saying a new covenant, now he's been talking about a new covenant as opposed to the old, and by old in Hebrews, he's talking of the law in Exodus. Uh, by saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is old, and what is old is aging and about to disappear. Now, if what is new has come and what is old is aging and is about to disappear, what would it make about that? Well, some would say, if it's about to disappear, that means it has not disappeared. 
that the law will still be there. Even though it's fading away, it's going to be until Jesus Christ returns. And perhaps that is the right way to interpret it. Another view of that passage may be that what is old uh, is, is, is aging and about to uh, disappear or has become obsolete and is fading or is vanishing, depending on your translation. Another way to take that is that, yes, the law has passed away. The sacrificial system has passed away, and it would soon be gone. It would soon be done away with. And in the writing of this time of Hebrews, that would make sense because a few years after the writing of this, guess what happened? The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and that indeed did put an end to the old system. There was no more temple for the Jewish people to go to, and what was vanishing and what was old did pass away in 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. In Mark chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, there is a, uh, an event that we may call the transfiguration. You may have heard that term. But some of Jesus' disciples are around, and there Jesus is, and all of a sudden these other two people appear by him, Moses and Elijah. And the disciples say, hey, Lord, we need to make a tabernacle. It's good for all of, all of these people to be here. They were excited. Elijah represented the prophets. Moses represented the law. It was everything you could want. It was the prophets, it was the law, and it was Jesus himself. And they were there, and the apostles were seeing this, and that's what's taking place in Mark chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. It says, A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Then suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. Now, isn't that beautiful? God had all the things that were significant, but two of them passed away. What's gone? What disappeared? It was... It was Elijah and it was Moses. It was what was symbolic of the law and the prophets. What does God say? Jesus is my son. Listen to him. He doesn't say listen to Elijah. He doesn't say listen to Moses. He says listen to Jesus. And then the others vanished away. And who was left? There was only one that was left. And that was Jesus Christ. And that is who we should worship. That is who we should seek. That is who we should call upon. That is who we, we should seek to understand his example and follow his commands to us. Some would say that we are to continue to do what was in the Old Testament way and that one day the temple would be rebuilt. Again, that's a tough one there. I'll let you read the scriptures for your own uh, to determine that. But I will say that I believe there's strong evidence to, to say the opposite. I believe that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what does Peter say there? He's speaking in spiritual terms. He says that we are living stones that are forming the temple because we are the temple of God now as Christians. We see that clearly explained to us through the New Testament, and here Peter says the same things. We are living stones. We are what? A holy priesthood. Oh, the old priesthood's passed away. Who's the high priest now? Jesus is the high priest. What are we as Christians? We are a holy priesthood, and as it says later on a few verses down, a royal priesthood to offer what kind of sacrifices? Bulls and goats and rams? Nope. He says spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Through Jesus Christ. Now some Christians would say that we are to one day we'll go back to the old system in the old way, but I believe that there is sufficient evidence to say that all of these things have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And it's dangerous ground 
when we begin to pick and choose which laws we will follow and how we will follow them. But it's not rough ground when we choose to follow Jesus Christ and Christ alone. When we stand on Him, when we stand on His Word, and we follow Him, there's no shifting sand. See, the problem in Hebrews is that they were tempted to go back to the old sacrificial system. That was the whole problem that the author of Hebrews was preaching against. He says, look, if you continue to sin, that is, go back to the old way and continue to offer those sacrifices, there remains no more sacrifice for you. If you reject the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what other sacrifice do you have? That's Hebrews 10, 26, by the way. What other sacrifice do you have other than Jesus Christ? There remains no sacrifice apart from Jesus Christ. That's why it's dangerous. That's why we have to be careful when we begin to look at the law and we begin to discern and we begin to read God's Word is are we compromising on Jesus to try to be justified by the law when we are only justified by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? In Romans chapter 14, verse 5, Paul says, one person considers one day to be above another. That's what some people do. Some people say, hey, one day is more important than the other. Some people would say it's Saturday. It's more important than the other. Some would say it's Sunday. It's more important than the other. Well, there were people in Paul's day that were saying one day was more important than the other. Paul then goes on to say, someone else considers every day to be the same. Now, there are some Christians today that say, hey, we're not obligated to keep the, the Sabbath day. That in Jesus Christ, we are free to worship Him every day. Every day is a holy day with Jesus Christ. So Paul acknowledges that there are some who think one day is holier than another and some who consider every day to be the same. There were in Paul's day, and there are many Christians in our day who would fall in both categories. And then he goes on to say, each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, that's what you have to do. I don't want you to believe like I believe. I want you to believe like God's Word says. I want to believe like God's Word says. And we read God's Word and we study God's Word, and even though we may be all Christians, we may all come to a different conclusion. And let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Live by what you feel the Holy Spirit has convicted you of. If you feel strongly convicted that the Sabbath is on Sunday and you feel that the Scripture tells you that and you get that from it, then by all means you continue to worship and do what you choose to do on Sunday. If you believe it's Saturday, then do Saturday. If you believe that all days are equal in Jesus Christ, then by all means do that. Whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you of and you believe that the Scripture says, don't just pick one. Well, I think I like this because we've been doing it this way it's all years and my family always did it, so I'm going to keep doing it. Well, that's not a good way to do it. A good way to do it is to look at the Scripture and let the Spirit guide on what you think the Scripture says. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, we're almost finished. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Now, it's talking about entering God's rest, just as God did from his rest on the seventh day. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the pattern of disobedience. Now, how do we enter that rest? Well, it tells us at the beginning. For the person who has entered his rest, he's talking about Jesus there in Hebrews. The person who has entered his rest, that is the rest of Jesus, has rested from his own works just as God did. Now, isn't that interesting? In Hebrews, the author says, look, if we have found rest in Jesus, then we have already done like what God has done. If the Israelites were to follow Jesus and rest because they uh, follow God and rest because that was the command in the way that God rested, it was for their good because they were enslaved. In Hebrews, it says we find our rest in Jesus Christ, and we rest just like God rested if we are in Jesus Christ. So therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest. 
Then in Colossians chapter 2, last passage, if you want to turn there, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul is talking about some, some, some disputes that are going on here, and he gives some command as far as holy days and special days and festivals and new moons and all of these things that the Jewish people would have, would have uh, celebrated. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of, of a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Now, it seems if Paul would have been firmly convinced that those things were important, any of those things, he would have said, look, if you're not keeping these things, you need to keep them. But instead of all the things he said, and the Sabbath was one of them, he said, don't let anybody judge you in regards to these things. Now, I think Paul would have said they were significant if they would have indeed been significant, and nowhere does Paul or anybody else in the New Testament for that, uh, for that uh, instance uh, say that about the Sabbath. But he goes on to say in verse 17, now here's the good stuff right here. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. The substance is Jesus. Those other things were a shadow. We see that all throughout the Old Testament and explained to us in the New Testament that things of old were a shadow of what were to come. They were telling us what God wanted. They were pointing us to Jesus Christ. But they were never going to be good enough. The law was never going to be good enough. The temple was never going to be good enough. The sacrifices were never going to be good enough. But they were pointing us to one who would come, who would make us holy, who would be a high priest, who would offer a sacrifice, who would good enough, who would make us priests, who would dwell in us, who we would be his people and he would be our Lord. And Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled everything that the law was meant to fulfill but never could. And Paul says these things that we see beforehand were pointing us to Jesus. They were a shadow of what was to come. But what the substance is, what really matters, what's really significant, where we really find our rest, where we really find our forgiveness is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And we worship Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we differ. I know we do. I know everybody in here don't believe the same when it comes to the Sabbath. We differ on our views of the Sabbath, but we trust Jesus Christ. Never get burdened down with the Sabbath. You worship the Lord as you feel led to by what you think the Scripture teaches. I come to church on Sunday. You know I'm going to continue to keep coming to church on Sunday? Because that's the day we have church. If we started having church on Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, I would come on that day. But let each one of us do what we feel fully convicted of and convinced in our own mind. And let us not judge another. Let us not judge one who keeps one day holy or keeps every day holy or keeps one day the same and every day the same, as Paul says in Romans chapter 14. But let us be those on whatever day we seek the Lord, seek the Lord with all of our heart. Let us be those who are focused on Jesus Christ because He is the Messiah. Let us not find rest in a day, but let us find rest in Jesus Christ who is the Savior of this world and the forgiver of your sins and wants to make you His today. If you hadn't found rest, I'm going to tell you you'll find it in no one apart from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. This is tough stuff. This is heavy, God. And we want to rightly divide your word so we can understand it. And God, I pray that this would get us in your word, dear Lord. I pray that we would seek you with all of our heart, dear Lord. And God, I know that sometimes we come to different conclusions. Sometimes we feel for sure, dear Lord, that you've revealed to us what's from you. 
But then we compare, dear Lord, and two or three of us think something different. So God, we keep praying to You, we keep seeking You, and we keep living for You. But God, let us not get too burdened down or worried down with these things. But above all, let's keep Jesus Christ at the center. Let us focus on Jesus Christ with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, dear Lord. Let us come to Him knowing that He will give us rest, dear Lord. God, there is not forgiveness, there is not rest in anyone other than Jesus Christ and Christ alone. God, I don't want people to leave here uh, debating over a day. I want people to leave here giving you glory, God. And I pray that we do that. That's what's important, God. That's what you call us to do. We see it time and time again in your word. And I pray, God, that we would find rest in Jesus Christ today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.